listening to The Running Public. From marathoners to mud runners, we all have the same goal. Get to the finish line faster. That's right. This podcast is for you guys, The Running Public. This is The Running Public's Training Tuesday. Training Tuesday is where we talk about training only. One topic, we dive deep, we explore it completely. It's training, it's Tuesday. Training Tuesday. Tuesday, Tuesday, Tuesday. It's a big day, folks, because we finally have our winners to our contest giveaway. And uh, I got them right in front of me. And uh, you guys, as we said last episode, you came up to bat for the running public. We got, I don't know, 80, 90 reviews amongst all platforms, uh, written reviews, which was fantastic. And we are giving away... Three, well, three different people are getting an entire year on a running public training plan of their choice for free, 12 months, no payment, no obligation after any of that, just pure fitness. Don't have to think and you're going to be a monster. So should we tell them who these people are? Should we tell them? Should we tell them? Can you give me a drum roll for our first person? You just wait. Come on, drum roll me. I hear nothing when you do that. (laughs) Literally nothing. Really? That's a good mic. Zero. Zero. That's a great mic. Try again. Not even a sound. No. Wow, this drum roll thing is really anticlimactic. There it is. All right. First winner is Thor Rumphagel. Thor. That's a name. We want a guy like Thor on our squad. Yes, we do. We want him posting online about how he got to be so Thorish on our training plans. Thor, reach out to us on uh, either personally uh, via either one of our Instagram, the running public Instagram or email us. Okay. Thor, you know, Thor let's, number let's one. streamline it. Okay. Email me Bracken oh. at the running public.com. I'm the one who will be setting you up anyway. So let's just cut out the middleman. You should probably CC. CC, CC me. CC everyone. All right. Let's make this a community win for us, but email me Bracken at the running public.com. And let me know which plan you want to be on. Running, OCR, Ultra, or Hybrid. We got all the plans for your needs. All right. Can you try a different type of drum roll for this next one, Bracken? Give me something on your head or something. Nothing. All right. I got it. The next winner is Floor4444. Floor4444. We have Thor and Floor. <laughs> so far, we got Thor and Floor. Yes. It seems rigged, but it's not. Random number it, it, generator. This ain't rigged, folks. Floor four 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 four. You know the drill. Message Bracken CC me. What is that? Why you always got to be CC and me on things I don't need to be CC'd on? As Jim Halpert mimicking Stanley Hudson on The Office. <laughs> Very good. All right. I guess I'll do the drum roll here for the last one. Kirk, that was good. That was a good impression of Jim's impression. I like that. Thank you. I'm impressed. Thank you. I still got a little snot in my throat. I feel yeah. like I can I can like get pretty deep here if I need to. Uh, it's a tool I'll only have for a short amount of time here, but yeah, might as well use it when you got it. Real low. So All right. Stones. And our last and final winner for a free year on the running public training plan of your choice is... Zooch07. We got Floor, Thor, Floor, and Zooch. 
Is that James? Uh, it just says Z-O-O-C-H-07. Who knows? Reach out. CC the whole world. Let's get it right. Rolling. <laughs> Rolling. <laughs> includes, includes Stanley Hudson on that, Zooch. All right. Congratulations, guys, on winning. Again, we will get you going for 365 days on the running public training plan. Uh, no obligations. No, uh, We're not going to button hook you. It's just free. So thanks for everybody who wrote reviews for us. It means a lot. We truly appreciate it. Kicked off our year in a delightful manner. Um, I want to ask you about something. Yeah. Have you developed a beauty mark in the last week? Oh, man, Kirk. What is that spot on your face? That is the beginning of a scab where you remove what? actual layers of skin and it just gets angry for a bit. Like it takes actually a while for the scab to form. That's what I did to mm. my face. What did you actually do to your face, though, to induce the beginning of that? I just ripped away at it. I have underneath here an ingrown hair, and you could see it, and I couldn't get to it. And I, I one night, it was too late. I should have just been going to sleep, and instead I'm in the bathroom mirror with the tweezers, my fingernails, trying to force my way down to this thing. And eventually, I was just excavating skin off my face. Well, it's a well-known thing that you sort of look like Kenny G. Uh, for anybody <laughs> who wants to know, Google, Which Google Kenny G and then doesn't put it make side any by sense side to Bracken. Until you see it. But to, but today you look like Cindy Crawford. Mm. Do you and know that, that my dad... That the nicest thing I've ever said to you. My dad had Cindy Crawford in class when he was student teaching in Illinois, when he was attending Northern Illinois University. I didn't. And he that. reminds my mom from time to time that, you know, she made a pass at me, but I was like, no, I'm a married man. I'm good. My wife, you can't hold a candle to her. I'm kidding. I didn't know that. But my mother always uh, reminds us that she was at a bar one time and the old Green Bay Packers quarterback, do you remember Don Mikulski? I don't, but I, I know of the name. Yes. I guess you were probably too young, but yeah, she always likes to brag about how Don Mikowski was hitting on her at the bar, and she totally could have had him. She wanted him, so she says. That's there's her claim there's to probably like it. <laughs> based on the way the Packers players operate and make the news. I think there's a lot of women in Wisconsin that have had a Packer player make a pass at them. That's true. He had a huge mullet that went down to like. I'm not taking anything away from blades, your mom. My mom loves mullets. No, to this day, my mother is a mullet lover, and she will wow. stand by it. Now that they're coming back in, she's really, she's really excited about that. It's just like right, hits her just right. Wait, Let's move on. Yeah, before we do, we were at the Kolb's house. That's Lisa's maiden name for uh, a post-Christmas get-together for all the January birthdays before her parents, who have become snowbirds, flee down to Surprise, Arizona. And something happened and someone said, oh, he's handsome or something. And her mom said, no, just never had enough chest hair for me. <laughs> we all looked at her, Whoa, where did that come from? <laughs> this is a kid's birthday party here. And she, but we found out that she is just really into chest hair, which is ironic because Lisa's dad is just mom. naturally hairless on his chest. So she has her whole life just been pining away Mother's for some thick mat of chest hair and she just never got a chance to run her fingers through it mothers mm. aren't allowed our mothers aren't allowed to have those sort of longings nope. it's not thick enough unless your fingers are getting stuck in it i guess that's gross um yeah. so here we are i had something to say i do want to give a little psa here um as smart as bracken and i think we are uh i'm an idiot 
at most times, to be honest. I can put it together for like 60 minutes, sort of, when we record these things. But in life, like I generally go from like one average decision to another, I feel like, <laughs> often. I don't and know. I made one. We didn't discuss this. <laughs> and I, made, I don't know where you're going with this. Uh, <laughs> so I'm excited. <laughs> Everybody enjoys a little self-deprecation, right? But no, this, this totally has to do with um, with pushing too hard after being like sick, like actually mm. sick. Like the flu bugs are going around. I came off of COVID um, still not – it'll be two weeks tomorrow since I got initially sick. I'm not even close to back to square, but – um, I put my running shoes on and felt like I had to make up for a little bit of lost time. And I just went out for a long run, like a dang idiot. Um, you know, pick a route I'm three miles in. I'm like, I could go left or right. You go right. It turns it into 12 miles minimum. I was in no place to be doing that. And it completely ruined me, set me back and it wasn't worth it. And as much as you feel like you need to make up for lost time when you're sick, those of you with the flu or having, um, COVID or the norovirus, which is going around. Like, I really don't think it's worth being a hero. It sets you back more than anything else. Like give yourself seven to 14 days to slowly ramp back up. I just don't think the juice is worth the squeeze. And then you end up setting yourself back. And it did. I felt like absolute crap for like the next two days for like no reason, like push me back days. Right. And you hear this once in a while. And I didn't take my own advice on this, really. I just got caught up in feeling like I needed to put in some time on feet. So for anybody, this will hit like, you know, 10 to 30 of you probably right now. You're at home sick, feeling like crap, contemplating if you should try to squeeze in a long run or your qual go right to a quality session to make up for lost time. In quotes, um, don't be an idiot like me. Be smart. Go easy. Keep the heart rate low. Give yourself some time to work back into it, especially if you're coming off like an extended fever and all that crap. Just be smart. I just wanted to give that PSA because I just experienced it. And I'm like, Kirk, you know better. That's it. Just wanted to get that out there. Uh, I mean, I agree with it. But I, when you started, I started getting excited that we were going to get something embarrassing or funny or dramatic. And instead, it was just like good logical advice. So, yeah, good for you. But I feel disappointed, let down. <laughs> Do you want to make something up? I'm sorry. No, no. All I right, want it to well, be real. I'll come up with something better next time. It's real. So why don't you intro what we're talking about today, unless you got anything else you need, you need slash want to share about yourself. Now we're at almost 11 minutes. Let's, let's, let's put the, the rubber to the road here, Kirk. We've had several guests, several topics lately, Training Tuesdays, that have explored concepts and not really thrown bow ties on it because it's really hard to finish an entire topic like in a satisfactory way where you've touched upon everything there is to know about it because that's impossible. We don't know everything there is to know about it. So how could we possibly tell you in 45 to 90 minutes, everything. But what we'd like to do today is take a few of the topics and make them a little bit more actionable. We've been talking about muscular endurance, medium long runs with frequency versus actual long runs and less frequency, uh, speed sprinkles or like mechanical speed work, things like that. But we kind of just leave you to your own devices there and say, all right, we've talked about it. Go do some great stuff with it. But we do this for a living and we're not always exactly sure on how to implement this. So we want to talk a little bit more for hopefully your benefit on how to implement all of these concepts in a training plan and how they should feel while doing it. 
Because I think that's one of the most underlooked conversations around training, Kirk, and I don't know if you all agree with this or not, is that people love to give out really good advice, but they don't always tell you how you should feel while following that advice, which I think is really important because when you start a new anything, it makes you feel a certain type of fatigued or sore and knowing that in advance and how it's going to interact with other pieces of your training is just as important to me as understanding why you're doing the training in the first place. So there's my little intro spiel, Hicker and run. That was a good spiel. How you feel is the most important of all the things. Yeah. Feelings matter. I think, um, I think more, more than anything, I think we go in spurts. I feel, I feel like we do a section of training Tuesdays where we like to talk theory, right? We just throw, we throw ideas at you without a lot of tangible tangibles, we'll call it. And then there's times when we get into these rabbit holes of like tangible objective, like giving you very straightforward, actionable advice. And I feel like we just came off of sort of like, uh, we've been talking theory, right? Mm-hmm. Getting people to think a little. And so I think the bow tie situation and maybe giving you some like actual bullet points, um, and again, I think how the, the feeling side of things, I think, is what we're aiming to do today. Just kind of uh, an amalgam of the previous conversations and just buttoning up anything we feel like we need to with them. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess I want to start at the furthest back in time that's recent history, which would be that episode we did on on like minimum effective dose of true speed work. We're talking faster than 5K pace, uh, really running fast, changing your stride into your faster stride not your just normal running stride. And we did a whole episode and a half on it. So I don't think we need to talk about what it is and why it is as much, but how to implement it in just a little bit. And more importantly, how you should feel as a result of it. Because I think it's one thing to be like, I'm sore today. And another thing to say, I'm expected to be sore today. So it's okay. Like how you feel is often Mm -hmm. framed by how you expect to feel. So with speed work, the way I look at this short little some people will call it mechanical speed work. Some people will call it speed sprinkle. Some people will call it minimum effective dose of speed. Basically, we're talking more work than strides, less work than a true interval session, something in between there. So when I do this workout, the way I feel is that towards the end of it, I suddenly start to feel a little bit more depleted or exposed than I thought I would especially early on when I first start implementing these. And I've just recently started again, adding in 200s on my runs. The indoor 800 meter run showed me I need to be more efficient and smoother and easier at accessing paces that are like faster than 3K pace, we'll call it. And I started exposing my hamstring insertion point, middle of my right hamstring, my left calf felt a little bit weird. I started feeling these feelings that I usually don't get until the late end of big workouts, but I got it after four reps of 200 meter intervals. And so suddenly I'm like, oh my goodness, this is starting to expose me. And that's when I cut it. I don't search for reps or speed. I cut it when I start to get exposed. But then because I've been exposed and I know those feelings linger after, I expect to be bad the next day and the day after, and I'm not. So these feel almost worse in the moment early on, and there's almost no ramifications in the rest of my training week because I've done such little amount of actual work. And I think that's the sweet spot, in my opinion, to start with those is you stop 
before you've done any amount of volume and before it actually gets bad, even if it feels worrisome in the moment, you won't feel, if you've done it correctly, bad the next day or the day after. And you can move right back on with big training if you want. It's opening pathways. It's the same reason that we base train in the off season. We build durability and mileage, and then we give ourselves a platform to build from. What you're outlining is the same thing for the speed or efficiency side. You're just opening the door so that when you're ready, you can walk through it, right? Mm -hmm. Instead of have to knock on it and jiggle the handle and try to get through. And then you deal with all the setbacks that that, you know, can possibly cause it really, it, it, it doesn't work directly the way I'm describing it. Like, ah, oh, base training leads to the build of the rest of your year, but really like what you would call speed sprinkles or extended speed sprinkles are sort of like setting you up. So you don't have those roadblocks getting away when you hit your first true VO two max session. And then your hamstrings are screwed and your calves are screwed for six days and it ruins, right. it sets your training back or sends you on an injury or overuse trajectory. I feel like it really, that's the best way I can describe it is it, it keeps you available when the time is right to jump right in with less risk and more accessibility to that sort of gear. Yeah, it's training to be able to train later. We're not trying to build fitness in these workouts. We're trying to build skill. And so we must stop before we do a bad rep. So it can start to feel uncomfortable in warning signs and we stop. But those warning signs aren't the same warning signs as they would be after an hour of work. So you should not be depleted by these the next day. You should be able to do these the night before a workout and hammer your workout the next day as if you hadn't done anything the day before. But you might feel a little nicer and smoother at pace your next day because you got a little bit of skill work in. Because you already unlocked the door. Yes. You can skip that step on workout day. Um, who, who do you think would... So what you're describing is instead of, let's say, doing 10 to 15 second pickups out in front of your house at the end of a recovery run, mm -hmm. which is also great, by the way. We have no issues with that. That's I prescribe those on my athletes' recovery runs. Six by 15 second pickups. I prescribe them to almost everybody. You're talking more of like a 30 to 45 extended, we could call it not interval, but not strider pickup where you're getting a little bit to work and then you're basically shutting it down, but you're running for a little bit more duration, open, efficient, with turnover practicing good form. So it's not like a short sprint. It's more in that 30, 45 second range. Is that how you're describing it? Yeah. I think the shortest I would go would be 20 seconds, which would be like 150 meters. And the longest I would go is and probably so what you two, feel, 250. And what you feel during these is very different than like yes. if you're doing pickups outside your house after a recovery run, because what'll happen is let's say you're doing 200s or let's say you're doing four by 40 seconds. You'll start to notice that your body doesn't want to tie up on you the last, let's say, five to 10 seconds, but your tendency is going to want to start changing something, fighting for something potentially. Mm -hmm. And that's where the magic happens, actually. You need to keep your poise. You need to stay relaxed. You need to stay open and you need to focus on mechanics. And you don't really get that. And in like an endurance sense, in these like 10 or 15 second pickups, or strides as we call them. It's almost yeah. like you need to just get to the point of like, Oh, I'm starting to feel a little bit of buildup and I'm going to focus on it for five seconds and then shut. Yes. And then shut it down. Then you're, you've reached time. Is that how you describe it? That's how I feel about them. Yeah. Yeah. The, and, the, and when people say strides, it's like a 10 to 15 second pickup, you accelerate up to your best 
form or stride you can run and then you hold it and then you ease off and back down and you almost never feel tension. You get faster, faster, faster. Right. This is the best I can do. And now I cruise off of it and decelerate down. This takes it one notch further. This gets to my best. It may start the same. You get up to speed a little quicker in these. But then when you get to that point where this is the best I can hold and it's my best, now hold. And now it feels good. Now hold. Now it starts to feel not smooth or easy. All right, here's the sweet spot. Hold that for five to 10 seconds and then get out of there before it actually starts to burn. You're not trying to build up a huge amount of lactate. You're not trying to get physically more fit. You're trying to get better at running really well when your body isn't necessarily feeling like it should be able to run really well right now. That's the sweet spot. So if it's a 30 second rep, it's really like a five to 10 second rep. The last five to 10 seconds are the, like you said, that's the money zone right there. But then you're done. You don't hold it for 30 seconds and burn. You don't want that. We're not trying to accomplish volume of work. It's volume of skill. There's two talking points to this I want to make sure we get to. Okay. Um, because this is what I would ask myself if I were doing these. Uh, first of all, who's the candidate for this? Like who should be doing, let's call it extended pickups or ex- I don't, what do you want to call it exactly? What's the word we should be calling this? Do you have like I, short I'll call them intervals, speed reps. Uh, yeah. extended stretch? Speed reps. Okay. I like Yeah, that. these are actual reps. Speed We're just reps. not doing Who's the a candidate? full workout. Who's a candidate to do speed reps right now? Let's assume we're generally in base off-season for the majority of our listeners, which I know isn't true probably, but let's just assume that. I'm going to say all distance Everybody? runners. If you're mid-distance, okay. if you're mid-distance, you're probably younger or on a team or following a program. If you're training for an 800 through a I would go as far as to say younger athletes of 5K, you have actual speed reps in your program. You don't really need these. You're going to be running strides at the end of each run already in your program. You're going to be hitting speed reps, and you're going to be hitting things like this. It's You probably don't have to worry about this because you're doing it. <clears throat> but for distance runners, I'll call it 5 slash 10K and longer, the first thing we do when we start up our offseason is we go slow. This is for those people. And it, it, it is so that the why is so that no matter what pace you ever run, you are racing down to that stride. That you'll never hit a pace in racing except for maybe a downhill finish where you're ripping. That's even remotely as fast as this stride. So everything is easy mechanically by comparison. That's the simplest way I can put it. You want to be super efficient everywhere. And so you must go faster, just like you must go longer in order to be able to run shorter. You must go faster so that you can run easier, slower. I agree. And it's one of those things, um, especially the longer you stay away from higher turnover work, like use it or lose it sort of principle. Mm-hmm. You outline the same thing in your 800 you ran recently. Like, Whoa, like I lost that. I lost that arrow in my quiver. Like it, that arrow is compromised severely, and you could have kept that more available if this had been more regular in your in your routine beforehand, right? Yeah. It wouldn't have been so unfamiliar. You could have relaxed into the pace, and maybe you could have squeezed a couple more seconds out of your out of your time just through familiarity. Um, <clears throat> the the other question people are probably asking themselves is like, how fast do I need to go? Right? Like, what is in these? If I'm going to implement these. 
And I have actually a third question that I think we need to get to now that I'm talking it out. But how fast do we need to go, right? Most people are roughly familiar with their approximate either goal or current 5K pace. You're absolutely running faster than that. Mm-hmm. You're probably getting yourself down to mile pace or faster even. That's my Towards answer. the end of these reps, they're actually pretty – yeah. They're actually pretty spicy. So it's not like, oh, I'm going to go practice running 5K pace while staying relaxed. I mean, that's all good in extended intervals. Don't get me wrong. That's not the purpose of these. The purpose of these is to increase turnover and efficient fast running so everything slower feels even more efficient as well, right? Mm -hmm. And so we're looking at mile pace. And even if you're feeling yourself, you might even get faster than mile pace on one or two of your last reps or towards the end of each rep. So I, I, my centerpiece is mile pace, even maybe a titch faster. Yep. My first rep is mile pace. And then I try to go a little quicker each rep. And, and with strides, mm-hmm. many people run strides a little too fast, but they're so short that it doesn't matter. But people will touch like almost sprinting by the end of their last few strides. I've run strides with everyone from 800 meter runners to ultra marathoners and everyone ends up, it kind of turns into this little like measuring contest. Everyone runs them a little faster because you're next to them and it, it, it's a darn near sprinting for like the last 10 strides of, or the last 10 steps of a stride in the second half of like, if you're doing six, the last three get really fast, but they're so short that you don't, there's no real downside to it. That's not what we're trying to do here. So yeah, I, I start at mile pace and I end around 800 meter pace if I'm feeling loose. I may not get to it. Mm-hmm. And most people don't know their 800 yep. meter pace, but you can all kind of guesstimate mile pace. Yeah. And then if we're going to give them even more tangibles here, uh, objectify this, like truth be told, and this isn't a slight at any of you listening, I think it is the human population, like myself included clearly off of my post COVID long run example. Like we're not that in touch with how things feel all the time. Like what we should be doing. Should I do a couple more reps or should I stop? Is this feeling like I should feel like let's take the thinking out of the equation for folks that are interested in maybe implementing this. Um, how many times per week, how many reps of what duration? Why don't we just, just give them a starting point, right? Why don't you give your recommendation there? I think for starters, I'm happy with a one time per week. Just start with one. And Joshua Reed was just on here talking about how long the benefit of any given workout lasts for you. He had sent me something on Instagram and we had chatted about it a little bit, but it's like five to nine days for maximal exertion, sprints or lifting before it starts. Lifting is a little less so, but maximal sprints, it's five to nine days before you start to lose some of the benefit. So you do Mm -hmm. it once a week. And you're going to get the physiological benefit every single week, and you're not going to really lose it. Plus, you might have a little bit of soreness early on, a little bit, and it's going to stress your calves and your soft tissue a little bit more because you're running more aggressive. And so once a week is enough, and you do it on your day, either the day before a workout, a day before your easiest workout, or on whatever day is just sitting in between with not a whole lot going on. It's just an easy day. Just plug it in right Mm -hmm. there and be happy with it. I think the safest way to start is four to six by 200. Just walk, jog, 200 meters in between. If you don't, just measure it out. I did it on a gravel uh, trail this weekend, or I think like Thursday I did it. I I did my run halfway through. I got to the spot. I thought this will be a good, this is as good a spot as any. And I just looked down at my watch, waited until it turned the next 10th. 
and then just ran until it got to the next 10th. That's 160 point, what, 09 meters? Tack on a little bit. I'm calling it right there. Perfect. That's about 200 mm-hmm. meters. That's all you have to do. This isn't Perfect. exact science. Okay. With roughly, you said if you were to walk 200 meters, you might be giving yourself two minutes at least rest in between two minutes rest in between them. So you're giving yourself a generous rest. Yeah. I was walk. I would, I'd come out of it. I'd decelerate. I'd walk out about 50 meters, jog another 25 and then just slowly turn around and jog back. The point is to get to the start line feeling refreshed because the goal is not to hurt and it's not to build fitness. If it's skill work, we want to be ready to be skillful. We don't want to be compromised on these. Four to six, 200s, you're not building engine. So don't even try to. Yeah. What else do we need to split on those? Anything? I don't think so. Just that, that Those are the questions that, I found myself. Yes. It just, the concept that you might feel uncomfortable towards the end, but it shouldn't follow you to the next day or two. You should not have lingering fatigue. You can put this almost anywhere in your week, and it shouldn't uh, get in the way or disrupt other other pieces you're working on because it's not... It's not work. It's skill. I think doing something like this regularly can actually put you weeks ahead when you decide to flip the switch and be like, okay, I'm ready to really get ready to race in six weeks. And you're like, I'm going to ramp up the intensity. I've done my base. I've done some good tempo and threshold runs. I'm ready to like maybe overspeed train a bit and get and really get gritty. I think it sets you up like you just hit the ground running, so to speak, I guess pun intended there, but like, it's like, you're just ready. You're just ready for it. You absorb, you you can actually be effective in like the quality sessions. And that might be, for example, let's say you're doing these pickups and now it's time for you to go rip like 800s or three minute intervals with 90 second jog recovery, which if you see that on a program, I mean, it's like, you're working pretty hard. We're talking like, we're starting to sharpen the pointier end of the the running spear, but you're going to be all right there. You're going to go. It's going to feel relaxed. Your calves aren't going to be smoked for days and you'll probably be able to continue your training the remainder of the week instead of like have to baby, um, like the super compensation side of like recovering from something like that. And so it's just, it puts you ahead is what it does. It is. Yeah. Yeah. You don't have to get the weird soreness or stride discomfort out of the way you have that. Now you can go into pure engine work without having to worry about the skill component. Um, okay. Well, uh, I feel good about that. What's the other, uh, I know you had sort of a a little, a few list, a list of a few things that, Mm -hmm. um, we had covered recently. This is your brainchild. What do you want to move to next? Opposite of the spectrum. I want to talk long runs. We've, we've talked about the concept, the Mark Botris approach, uh, the, the people who are not doing crazy long runs, but are doing really consistent, high frequency, medium long and longish runs. A lot of 90-minute to 120-minute runs. Talking about how that fits in your schedule and how that works. Compared to going Um, three to four hours as a long, long run. So when you set that up, uh, is the assumption that you aren't going for the long, long run ever in this phase? Like you're not going three or four ever? You're capping at two? How that looks throughout the whole I would say no more than once a month are you really looking for a long run. You're prioritizing frequent medium long to long over the very long you can still do it from time to time but it's not your okay. point of emphasis and i think yeah. that i think there's more people that uh subscribe to that than you think as well even in the high end uh yeah. like pro runner 
type circuit, high-end trail runners that are on some of the, the Golden Trail Series circuits, things like that. You might see this more often than you think. So go ahead. And I think that this is probably the piece that people get the most conflicting information about because it's very much, this is what I do and what I believe in. And so I preach it and everyone's experience is different. You will find just as many people who extremely, extremely are proponents of the long run versus people who are like, you don't need a really long run. You need to do as many 80 to 120 minute runs as possible. And that will take care of all the physiological benefits of the long run without the risk. And if you have high enough volume, you don't need long run. they're, They're in camps and each camp is correct because it's what's working for them and what they love. So I think for the for the listener, it's going to be impossible to keep the two, I don't know, from muddying each other because both sides will convince you that they're right. Question just right off the top. Mm-hmm. If from your belief, you just have to you can't you can't justify it. I just or defend it. You can either go 90 minutes on a Friday and three hours on Saturday, or you can go two hours Friday and two hours Saturday. Which one do you think puts you further ahead? 90 minutes and three hours or two and two? Oh, I don't know. For me, I would choose three 90-minute no. runs over one ninety and one mm. three-hour run. However, okay. I, think, I think it really is dependent on how good you are at running. I think the more talented a runner is, the less they need the long run. Because they're 90-minute runs, they're covering 16 to 20 miles. Like we talked about with Joshua and, and Charlie Lawrence, in 90 minutes, Charlie Lawrence is going longer than you and I are going in two hours. And so he's getting more out of it. He doesn't need to go out and do a three-hour long run very often because he covers that base in yeah. less time than us. And the new runner doesn't need three hours because they can't handle it. If that makes sense, unless they have a 50 mile or hundred mile race coming up. So I think the earth, like bookending your career with a bunch of medium long runs and in between, you have to get good at running longer. That's the way I look at it. Yeah. That's a good answer. I said you couldn't defend it and then you defended it, but I think we needed you to defend it. <laughs> I, I would go 90 and three and I would go 90 okay. and three only because, um, my body takes a lot of damage that back hour like that from two to three, they're night and day different runs for me. Mm-hmm. And if I don't access that, if I have long races coming up, like when, it, when my rent comes due in the race, it kind of, the piano starts falling on my back pretty hard. So for me, like those runs actually are pretty dreadful and the back half, like my legs feel so sluggish and damaged and I don't go three hours very often, but yeah. I find that it really helps. Like for me, it's very important. Maybe I'm in the middle of my running career. Then I haven't established the bookends on the far end yet on the durability side. But um, that's just something I notice personally. Yeah. I think it's different for everybody, as you said. Okay. So let me, sorry, I distracted you from the conversation right. at hand. So we're talking steady volume. Yeah. So let's talk how it should feel. Those 90 minute to two hour runs, I believe more often than not should feel challenging in the second half, but within two days, you're fine. That's the way I look at them. Because you're trying to do them more often, you have to be fine quicker. And so you don't get to rip all of them, but because you're doing more of them, you're just going to ease yourself into some faster running sometimes. We all know that feeling. Hopefully you've all experienced it at least once. One of the most enjoyable feelings in running is where in the middle to back half of a longer run, you've just worked yourself into a place where running harder feels good. It's exciting. 
you get 10 miles in and suddenly you're like, I want to run these next couple faster. I'm like, I'm kind of committed now. I'm in it. My body's warmed up into it. Suddenly I'm running a pace now that would have felt too fast earlier, but it feels great now. And that, that happens more often, the more often you run 90 minute runs, but they can't all be hard, but they should be able to fit into your schedule without ruining you for the rest of your week. Because you have to do volume of those versus volume of a single long run, which the long, long run is going to leave you really depleted for several days. The setup is the you know devil's in the details. And the details here for me would be like, does that mean like on Monday I could go for a 90-minute run even though I have a quality session on Tuesday? Like, is that what you're outlining here? Like, you're just layering in volume even if it might slightly be at the expense of your next session? Or are we already so durable that it doesn't matter? Because you'll see these guys. Like, I'll see um, like a Tyler Germain who we bring up a bit because he's one of the higher-end runners that we somewhat know here. And he'll go 10 in the morning and 10 at night right? Mm-hmm. All recovery for him, seven minute pace, a breeze. He'll hit 20 miles on a Monday and then he'll go rip a big workout on a Tuesday yeah. where he's also putting in another 90 minutes of total warm up, cool down and work. So what I'm asking is like, does it make sense when you're actually training with purpose for an upcoming event to still do this or this more under the philosophy of I'm going to grease the groove with longer time on feet for this phase? Or does that and just be running, right? Letting the runs come to me, or is it plugged into purposeful workouts? Does it all go together? I think now we're getting into what you're training for and the specific goals of the block, but I don't think we can mimic what the freaks of nature do. I really don't. I think the safest way to implement this is the day after something else. So I did a tempo run yesterday. Couldn't agree more. I'm going to go out and get, I'm going to get 70 at least, but I can go 90 if I'm feeling good. And what that does is it puts a limit on your effort. Or if you do it the day before your quality, you're guessing the whole time, how is this going to treat me tomorrow? Or if you did the quality day one, let's say you did your Saturday, you know, quality threshold session on Sunday, you know exactly how you should run. You don't have to guess what effort is correct today. Your body tells you what effort is correct. You're probably going to start easy. Mm -hmm. And if anything, you'll build into it. You may not build anything at all. You may get slower throughout, but you're accomplishing all the physiological benefits of being on feed for 75 to 90 minutes. So I think that's the safest place to start. One in the middle of the week, kind of alone, and then one you can add on after whatever your next quality session is. It's what I did this weekend. I did a threshold and uphill threshold session on Saturday. And then yesterday I went out and did an hour 36 on, on snowy, muddy trails. Not trying to do anything, but just run clean and easy. And today, I feel pretty good. But had I done the reverse, Saturday, an hour 36, every step of the run, I'd be second guessing. <laughs> I'd just be done. I've got to do threshold tomorrow. Mm-hmm. I think you have to earn the right to do 10 and 10 the day before quality day by being really talented and put in a decade and a half, two decades of work like Charlie's done. So I don't think we should even shoot for that. Yeah. I also just as a sidebar, like I think there's a lot of power to fatigued mid long runs or long runs just Mm -hmm. as a rule of thumb. Like if people who are running a Monday through uh, Sunday schedule, like a, you know, 60 minute recovery run Monday, quality session Tuesday where you're still available to rip medium long run Wednesday on fatigued legs, which man builds durability. 
And then maybe start that process over again. Then Thursday, 60-minute recovery. Friday, another quality session. Saturday, fatigued long run, and you have yourself like a stew. If you can handle that sort of volume, fantastic, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I, I'm oversimplifying it, but I think there's a lot of power to that. Yeah. <clears throat> why do you think that? Why do you think that just steady volume throughout can be as effective? even for longer races. Like, do you have a personal philosophy on, and we're not saying this is our necessary go-to or our own. I mean, Bracken goes for three hour long runs. I know you do. I do as well when I'm ramping up for things, but what do you think it is about it? Like why is it because it keeps you available? Is it because greasing the groove with micro dosing in a sense allows a bigger dose at any one given time because you're prepared enough? Like, what do you think? Yeah, I think it's the perfect like confluence of the X and Y axis which is like benefit yeah. on one axis of what do I get from this? And then the recovery cost on the other axis. This is the juncture point, the junction mm-hmm. somewhere in between that 70 and 90 for undertrained athletes or novices. And then intermediate advance moves to that 90 up closer to two hours. Two hours kind of gets gray, but most of what I've read Exercise physiology says that most of the good benefits of aerobic exercise really start ramping up between 35 and 40 minutes and then start to become kind of like petering out in terms of like oxygen transport system development after about 90 minutes. The difference between a 90 minute run and 120, um, is kind of close together in terms of what it's done for mitochondria development and red blood cell count and things like that. However, the difference between 60 and 90 is pretty big. And so the more you can get that big bang for your mm-hmm. buck, like building the pathways in your body, that happens between 45 and 90 in the sweet spot. And so anything longer than that, you're starting, you still get benefits, obviously. But the real benefit is time on feet, strengthening your connective tissue, resistance to impact, but it has a much, much, much higher cost of recovery. And so as the benefits start to decline slightly, the recovery cost starts to rise up. So I think cutting it off before those two start to diverge just means you can do it more often and more often and more often without it impacting your week negatively. I'm not against long runs. Like I said with Joshua... I did a three and a half hour ski hill workout before one ultra and a four hour before the other. And the four hour left me feeling so much more prepared. So I still do those big ones. I just don't, those aren't my daily like allotment. Those are once a month type deals. I think the X and Y access descriptive is perfect. Keeps you available, keeps you consistent. I mean, in an ideal world, of course, overuse injuries can happen at any time, but also never totally ruins you where like you're useless for three days in an ideal world, right? Yeah. We're just always able to sort of hit it. We're able to keep checking the boxes. And that's what this is all about when it comes down to it. The thing that I think like a tip of the hat goes to folks who do consistent volume, the 10 and 10, like I see Tyler German doing, or the extra volume is like, it is so boring. It is so boring to go out there and slog for 90 minutes without any real purpose. Like as I've discovered about myself in the last few years, I either need to feel the sting of exhilaration and metrics and breathing heavy and high heart rate, or I need to be 
so slogging that it's sort of a shuffle, but it's shorter, right? I can I can tolerate 60 minutes. I'll tolerate some podcast that I'm half interested in and go run easy. I think it takes a special kind of mental grit that we aren't that you can't describe really to just go out and drone away for 90 minutes multiple times a week on legs that are already tired. Like the callus that that builds is something that's worth acknowledging because it really isn't fun. It leaves you alone with your own thoughts and your own head on legs that are kind of like meh. And although we're describing it as like, oh, our rose tinted glasses are on and this is sort of like a nice way to go about training. I find the mental side of just going out and putting time in without any real plan or purpose sucks. And if you're going to build some grit and durability mentally, I think it does that for you as well. Just, you just become, you just run. That's what you do. And once you like your body sort of accepts that and your mind accepts that, I think that's another tool you have in your quiver or in your belt that isn't talked about with the steady volume. I don't know about you, but I have a hard time knowing I'm just going to go out there and, and just run. I don't. Without being stimulated. I feel more aimless on 30 to 40 minute runs than I do on 60 to 90. I don't know why. I, to get through really? a 30 to 40 minute run, I have to have a podcast or playlist queued up. During my long, my medium long or long runs, half the time I find myself pausing my music because I want to follow a train of thought that I have. Or I just want to be in the run. It's the strangest thing. It should be the opposite, right? I can just get a 40 minute run done, but I've got to bear down for 90. It's almost like the more I do of it, the more invigorating it is. I don't I don't understand your side because I don't feel that. Just goes to show, right? Right. Just goes to show. And also I think it's like I think of spending credits. When I do a three to four hour long run, that's the focus of my week. And my focus of my next week is to get that out of my system, reap all the rewards, recover from it, and move on. And so I can only do it so often. And it's very powerful. But when I do, let's say, 75 to 100 minutes, that's probably my personal range for medium long runs. I can spend those credits relatively frequently. I can say I can do them twice a week indefinitely. And the times where I felt just the best at the act of running, not necessarily my fastest or my having the greatest ultra endurance, but when I just, every time I start to run, it just feels good when I'm doubling and doing a lot of 75 to 100 minute runs. They just, like you said, kind of grease the groove. They just keep me always ready to feel good mm -hmm. about the act of putting one foot in front of the other. Do you think that these runs, uh, you're allowed to do a little, what we call gray zone running? Like, yeah, if you're feeling I'm okay last half it. hour and you want to pick it up, sure. That's what I think too. As long as they're counterbalanced with some true slow recovery running, yep. but it's sort of that sweet spot, the John Albin approach who, it told us that, I mean, he's improved. He's always been a great runner, but he's really done some big things in the last couple of years. And he's like, yeah, I just go out and run. Like I like pretty much all I do is great zone running in between quality sessions. And it works for him. Maybe he's an exception. Maybe he's the rule. I don't know. But I think it's one of those, you know, they set you up to do nice and easy and chill. take what your body gives you that day. And you're allowed to pick it up a little if your body feels good. And if you're tired, which you very well could be following a quality day, then maybe it is a slog and that's okay too. But I feel like it's just, there's, there's a flexibility to it. Mm -hmm. So how should you feel? You should feel flexible with the media long runs and you should feel pretty used and fatigued after your long runs. Long, the, my big ones generally cap my microcycles. 
I'm going three hours or longer. That's the final intended quality session of my training block. And then it's followed by a deload <laughs> week and then I move on. I don't need to do that after the medium longs. So the way you should feel is drastically different going 70 to 100 compared to three hours plus. Yep. There's one caveat to this. Um, what else comes to mind with... Oh. And that caveat is vert. The more vert you have in your run, the more the lines become blurred for what is medium, long, and long. You can go out on a mountain range and ridge run for three hours and get seven miles and not take that much damage. You run three hours on the road, I don't care what pace you're running, you're taking damage. If you're running in the fells, if you're running on sloppy mountain or hilly courses, you're just not going to impact the ground the same way as you would on hard terrain. One, you can't get off the ground the same way. and You can't hit the ground the same way. And when you do, it softens the blow for you. So the more vert and soft terrain or technical terrain you're hitting, the more flexibility you have to go longer duration. And that's important to remember. When we talk with Justin Hamilton, I mean, I would say 60 to 70%, Justin, correct me if I'm wrong, of your time is spent walking because it's uphill power hiking. A four-hour run might be three hours of hiking and an hour of of mm -hmm. some downhill work. But his downhill work is different than Colorado downhill work. And so it's not the same level of destruction and the things it does destroy are different than what are a, your three-hour quality session on a road would be like. So mountains, vert, mm -hmm. and terrain do confuse this process a little bit. And, and that's where you start getting into the weeds of personalizing it for you and your workouts. As another uh, personal bias, just piggybacking that whole road versus trail thing, um, I think running on the roads is incredible for trail durability. Like going mm -hmm. and actually taking that sort of hard impact. I don't think it gets enough credit because if you only road run, you're going to be a mess in the mountains, right? Or going up and like hilly trail work. It's never going to work, right? You're not going to, it's, but I think as used as a tool, like just like once in a while, go do your medium long run on the cement, for example, or your long run, like the way it damages you, like I think really sets you up to be even more durable on softer trails when race day comes. I found that translates for me very yeah. well. Um, we don't need to go down that rabbit hole, but I think it's an underutilized tool for trail runners is actually like embracing, like, I'm going to go on the roads and take damage today. We don't, we could spend time on that. Maybe we shouldn't. I, don't I wholeheartedly that. agree. The two sections of my life where I've mm -hmm. spent consistent time running with John DeWitt, running 10 to 13 miles up tempo are the two times I felt like I could jump into a trail half right now and be nasty. Cause I know I could run yeah. hard the whole time. That wouldn't be the question. And I, I'm with you. There's some power to that. But at the same time, I've never once in my life thought, I need to get three hours on the roads today. It's like, if I'm doing three hours, it's on a hill no, right. or a trail. And if I'm doing 70 mm -hmm. to 90 hard, it's a flat trail or it's a road. I You use the terrain to your benefit. Yeah. So I think it's a good good, good option for that medium long Very run, good. potentially for you mountain folk. Um. All right, so we probably have time to do one more topic, mm -hmm. one more thing we want to um, maybe dissect a little bit more. What do you want to finish with? Well, that's good because that's all we have, and that is muscular endurance work. Oh, great. And the easiest way, I mean, that's kind of like a, a nerdy title, right? The easiest way to think about this is weight room fitness, non-running fitness. What can I do 
without the act of running that's going to help me be better at running, either better at my body receiving the running, handling the running, or executing the running. And so the easiest way to think about this are the classic things that mountain running mountain runners or mountain running coaches prescribe, which are lunges, box step-ups, weighted box step-ups. Uh, Joshua talked about weight vest, stair climber, incline hiking, things that force your body to move, either come out of the hole at the bottom of a lunge or a squat, or push your, uh, your, your feet off the ground, engage your calves, your glutes, whatever. Under a load that is equal to or greater than the load, the stress of running, but without running. Lunges, box jumps, box step-ups, power hiking, that kind of thing. Okay. Um, obviously, we both are very pro-strength. We had a decent discussion about that with Josh. I would say we spent 20 or so minutes on it, don't yeah. we? 20, 30 minutes in our episode with him, I would say, talking about it. Do you think anybody and everybody, whether you're roads, trails, uh, hybrid, anybody and everybody should be doing muscular endurance? And I think... We're talking lower body work here, I assume, for the most part, right? Yeah. Like, you know, there's half of you out there who stay away from leg work because it impacts your running, and obviously we'll work to change that. We have we firmly believe that that's not the right formula, but is, is it equally as important for everybody is what I'm asking in your opinion. This is totally an opinion, and I know you said opinion like three times, but I'm going to reiterate this. This, this is totally my yep. opinion. I don't think everyone needs mm -hmm. this, or they need it to varying degrees. <sighs> I think... The further you get away from the track, the more you need it. And the further you progress past 30 minutes of race time, the more you need it or the more it can benefit you. I don't think everyone needs it because like Joshua talked about, go run 20 hours a week of zone one training in the mountains and the trails, and you probably don't need this. You're getting it with less impact or not less impact, less weight, but you're making up for it in volume it probably is going to get you to the same place. 5K runner, your time's probably better spent building the actual running motion. However, once you get closer to 60 minutes and once you get off the road or once you get into vert up or down, these are the things that start to make a difference, especially to the non-world-class runner and how you can handle the distance the impact and how you can keep your form together and stay injury free with challenging running. That's my mm -hmm. 60 second pitch on who needs it. Well, I was going to give a 10 second pitch. Do it. Um, and it was just going to be the more varied the terrain and the longer the distance, Perfect. the more and more of a candidate you are to benefit. That, that was going to be my answer. And you just better. split the hairs more, which was great. <laughs> you know, what's interesting is, um, <clears throat> well, no, but it, I, we, we believe the same thing. Um, obviously you and I are big advocates, believers, proponents of incline treadmill work. I just think it's a, it should be a staple in your programming, even if you're a flat runner or a mountain runner or a hybrid athlete, whatever. And oftentimes I force this upon new athletes of mine. It's like, okay, well, we're going to be going, we're going to chase vert on the treadmill at least once a week, whether it's for your midweek long run or your quality session or whatever. And most are open to it, something novel, different. Um, and it's just so interesting because a lot of times with those athletes, and especially if they haven't done a ton of lower body strength work, they get on the treadmill. I say, let's go at 15% for our the threshold run. And that's a smack in the face if you haven't been doing that. And like nine out of 10 times I hear, 
like my legs like just gave they wouldn't work like before like i feel like i had more but my legs were just so dead like mm-hmm. i couldn't keep it up is my legs went before me normally if i'm out on the roads doing a tempo run like my breathing and my legs meet in the middle and it's like obvious this is a big effort but for those who haven't done a lot of strength lower body work and have that strength endurance you'll notice on sessions like uphill treadmill work like my legs just like like they're done like i know i could access higher output but like my legs are my limiting factor here right that's a classic example of someone whose strength endurance hasn't met their aerobic abilities and you can have that happen to you when you're on your second climb out on a mountain half marathon you're like yeah i mean i'm working hard but like now my legs are my limiting factor and everybody's Mm going to have their tipping point whether you're doing leg strength work or not but if it can push that tipping point another 15 minutes into your race or you can handle one more descent and climb versus really imploding on the previous descent and climb like that's worth its weight in gold and you can't put a tangible objective measure on how that's going to improve you out there but trust us when you say like yeah it could minutes even i think especially in varied terrain courses like mountain races just because you're more durable in that regard and so i think there's like a lot of power you always want that arrow in your quiver if you need it so it's just a testament to why i think you should do that it is and this is what i do with all my athletes who are unable to touch mountains (laughs) over the winter we're doing a lot of lunges or box step ups or reverse box step backs Banded monster walk, weighted monster sideways walk, things that are going to stress your glutes, your hips, your quads, all the areas that need to be able to pound downhill and power you uphill. You can work on those inside all winter long. If your mountains are now ski hills and you can't run them, this is how we get good at it. And every single individual, every single one gets to spring and is pleasantly surprised by how strong and stable they feel up and downhill. Yes, they have to pair the skill to being out there and the pounding and everything that goes along with it, but their chassis, their suspension is there. They all talk about how, wow, my glutes and hips and quads feel so much more stable and able to just carry me downhill than I thought they would. It just works, but you have to trust it because it doesn't seem like it could work. I didn't believe it until I completed a knee surgery rehab where I did so much lunging and I went out to do my first ski hill workout and I was like, oh my goodness, I'm better at downhills than I was beforehand and I haven't run a downhill because mm-hmm. I was so structurally sound. And so it's it's just a, it's a needed piece to people who can't live double digit hours on the mountains per week. It's the closest thing to cheating Mm -hmm. that I can think of in terms of like a training secret. It just is, it translates in a way that it shouldn't. It's really, really, really powerful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And from my perspective, like strength endurance, like probably some of you listening are thinking like, what does that mean? Like, do I do like 30 reps of like jump squats or do I do like high, like put the barbell on my back and go to 15? Like, yes and no would be my Mm -hmm. answer. Like. Strength endurance could still be foundational with a five by five program. And I love a, like a five minute walking lunge finisher with maybe light dumbbells in your hand or none, or like, like, just like I like to set up most of my strength work. First few exercises are heavy, low rep scheme, create some underlying fatigue, power outage or shortage, so to speak, because you've really forced your body to move a lot of weight. And then the things you move to next, maybe you do your heavy sets of three to five on squat to develop power, but then you both Gary and split squat to 15 on both legs, or maybe then you do repetitive tempo box step ups 
on legs that are already fatigued from heavy work before. It's not doesn't have to be one or the other. You can what we call pre fatigue your higher rep work with yeah. heavy structured strength work. Like you would want to, you can have the best of both worlds is what I'm outlining. You don't need to just sit there and do like jump squat, jump lunge circuits until your legs give out on you. Like, yes, that could benefit you, but still raw strength work structured is still like, I think the foundation of like strength endurance, like still start your workouts uh, traditionally, in my opinion. And Joshua Reed was talking, he's living in that eight to 12 rep range circuit style, eight to 12 on this, eight to 12 on this, eight to 12. I'm going to repeat, and that's building muscular endurance. And I live on a lot of lunges. That's my go-to. Lunges work really well for my body. Step back lunges, lunges, you can do it with sled push and pull. I'll do one minute sled push and one minute sled pull, and then I'll hop on the assault bike for a minute. And then two, two, three, three, four, four, five, five, and then reset. Do that for 25, 30, 40 minutes. That's a strength endurance workout. My go-to one is 10 lunges. 10 cals on a machine, 20, 20, 30, 30, either up to 50 and repeat for a time cap or all the way, take it out to 100. Those are the things that leave me feeling bulletproof for mountains. So you can do it on either side of the spectrum. You can do it with high rep lifting, medium to high lap rep, or you can do it with very high rep functional movements, or like Joshua said, weight vest on a stair climber. It's muscular endurance. It's not running. Mm-hmm. It's not going to feel like a run but it's going to make you better at running in the second half of any long race. It's actually what I think lower body compromised running, I think is a lot where the magic sauce lies with it. Mm. Like if I make you do 30 lunges and then go into a 30, a three minute tempo type effort, right back into 30 lunges, three minute tempo type effort, very simple, very simple format, right? Like uh, something Mm -hmm earth shattering, but something about then forcing you to run on legs that are pre-fatigued, like is another way to sort of like, I think that's where most of the magic sauce with OCR specific training is, is it's like kind of snuck in there. And then your body gets used to operating a little bit compromised and it builds up strength endurance to adapt to that stimulus. It's like, yes, it makes your running feel a little clunky in the moment, but I think like what it does for that aspect of things is probably... Because we talk about like with OCR work, like overhead work, like go run, get your hands up on the bar, do rig work, pull-ups, whatever. And I think that's Mm -hmm. very important too. But I think that lower body work, even just translating to like run endurance for long duration, like that aside, let's say you didn't do OCR, but you were just a mountain runner. I think there's probably some merit to that style of work if you never touch an obstacle. Just tire the legs out and then make them run on it. Right. And no, you don't see that though. Like you don't see traditional trail runners being like, well, my quads go on me every uphill and I feel it in my glutes. So what am I going to do? I'm going to run up my mountain, but I'm going to do 20 jump squats every three minutes. Like just in my long run, you don't Mm -hmm. see that type of approach very often. And I haven't done it either, but I could see it being effective. Another tangent, but just something I think about with the compromise work, I've felt that payoff that way. Yeah, absolutely. It it forces muscle recruitment in a way that only really fast or really long runs do, but you do it without having to do those two pieces right? and you get better at it. And how should it feel? Yep. This one should feel pretty bad. I think muscular endurance is very unpleasant work because you're always dealing with that feeling like I'm kind of failing out burn, but there's not a huge high heart rate component to it. So it makes it easier to sit in when you're doing that lunge workout, the round of 80, 90, 100 is very real. 
in that moment, it's every bit as bad as a long race is. But then you get done and there's not this cardiovascular cost. You're not as destroyed in the moment. You like, you can fall on the ground and lay there in a puddle for two or three minutes, but then you get up and move around your day. And the next day you can go run your little fatigue through your hips, your glutes, your quads, but you haven't taken damage and your heart rate wasn't high. And so it's a different type of recovery. And so it feels pretty miserable at times, even just doing sets of eight to 12 on lunge, uh, weighted lunges or Bulgarian split squat or front squat or whatever you're doing. And then hiking uphill, not pleasant, but you also don't feel terrible the rest of your week. So it's like that medium long run where you're getting a lot of bang for your recovery buck, but it's not fun. Well, <laughs> well, if you're going to start implementing this as a first timer, it will ruin the rest of your week. But if you have a strength base laid from doing movements, if you did 550 lunges, which the math comes out to on Bracken's workout, uh, that, that's going to wreck you. Well, it's good math only because I do that style a lot with different movements. Okay. I do the whole 10 up to 100 or 100 down. It's 550. Um, but so as long as you have a foundation, if you don't, yeah, you're going you're gonna to need some help for a few days. Yeah. But granted, if you're already doing it, I would probably, I would probably jump into something less ambitious. If you're entertaining starting this, maybe like 10, 20, 30 yeah, <laughs> to you do start go to 30 or 50 um, and you do it once you're rocks. Yep. Yeah. Um, anything else you want to add to the strength, uh, strength conversation? Durability. This, everyone can wrap, not everyone. Most people can wrap their minds around the idea of running short, fast work will make running slower, easier. I can get that. Running a bunch of medium long runs will make me an aerobic monster. I get it. Running some very long runs will make me better at time on feet impact and just a better endurance machine. I get that. I still don't buy that doing weighted step ups is going to make me any better at running. And so this is one of those pieces mm -hmm. that it takes faith. It takes trust, which means it's best to try in an off season because it'll give you the the peace of mind that if it does nothing for me, I haven't ruined my whole season. You don't implement this for the mm. first time leading up to a major race, unless you're already a believer. Like I implemented this leading up to Tennessee mile coming off surgery because it was my only route there. I wouldn't have implemented this leading to Tahoe in 2015 yeah. for world championships because I wouldn't have believed that it could get me to my best. So do it in the safest time of your year sample it in, feel it. And then once you feel it, you'll trust it. But this is one of those faith-based training approaches. And the payoff isn't immediate and the results are subjective in the sense where like, uh, it's really difficult to measure unless you're like, I think I'm just going to say this. I shouldn't, but I think if let's say you're a 5k athlete and you're just looking to improve your 5k time, not just, but that's your focus. Like I'm mm -hmm. actually sort of doing I will have trail races, so I need to keep that other stuff in there. What do you see? Let's say you keep training hard and you start the strength work and your 5K gets seven seconds better. And you say, okay, well, was it – you're really dialed at this point, right? Was it strength? Mm -hmm. Was it my training consistency? You might be talking metrics like that, seven, 15 seconds. I don't know. I'm just making that up. The subjectivity, I think, where it really shines is you have a you have a two-hour trail race and you can't exactly measure what the strength work did the back half, but you just need to know that it absolutely mm -hmm. fact, like you had a good race, 
guaranteed a lot of that is credit due to your lower body muscular endurance work that paid off and kept you durable out there. I just think the just to outline it, like, what do you think a real comprehensive strength program lower body would do for your 5k? Do you think if you've already been well-trained, I think yeah. you're maybe nothing. I think you're talking seconds, right? And I don't know why I'm saying this other than I just think that is a belief that I want to, a theory or thought that I think I just wanted to yeah. outline for you. But I, so like, you're wondering like, will it pay off? Yes. I don't know, but I do know that the longer you get, it absolutely will. And the crazier the train, it absolutely will. And and what I love about these workouts is that once you start doing them, you get on board really quickly. Like a lot of my athletes right now are getting leg builder mm -hmm. A and B and they'll alternate it for six weeks or A, B and C, they'll alternate it for six weeks. And by the time they're doing it the second time, like round one, I was failing out at 50 and now I was strong through 70. You actively feel yourself improve at the task and you start to feel like this is how power hiking right. up 2000 feet of vert feels like I can feel that right. I may not be any faster, but I am better at power hiking now. Or suddenly my glutes and hips feel so strong. I know I'm going to be better downhill. It's you feel things more than you feel them in other styles of training. I think you can improve very rapidly at this and you keep the benefits for a relatively long time as well. So you, it's hard to pair it to your running, but like you said, the more your terrain is bad or the vert is big, the more you're going to feel right in the moment. I'm getting better at that part of running. hundred percent. You smoothed that out for me. Thank you. Um, all right. Any last uh, little plugs you want to get in there for doing your strength work? No, but I'm going to plug the speed play at the beginning of it one more time. Medium long runs, okay. three to four hour long runs. God forbid muscular endurance. The argument against all of this is it's going to make you slower. Sure, you might have a bigger engine, but you're, you're losing turnover. Well, that's why we have our speed play now. That's why this ties it all together. Full because circle. it keeps your stride sharp. And then you can go into whatever you want to do, and you don't have to worry about atrophying from a running perspective. So the more you're going to lean into muscular endurance, the more you also have to balance it out by making sure you have stride or short speed reps every week. And then you can just, again, go off faith that I'm fine. I've covered all my bases. And there's your bow tie, folks. Bow tie. One big bow tie. Way to go, Bracken. I'm not ashamed to wrap this episode up with plugging our training plans. We've done a poor job, so we want to do better about that. And if you're looking for direction after the first of the year, looking ahead at your races, just to remind you, I know we've been a little redundant with it lately, but we have four offerings now. We have the running public, pure running plan for Roads to Trail. We have the OCR plan. Think Spartan, OC, any OCR event, Savage. Then we have our ultra training plan, basically talking marathon and up or 50K and up, and then our hybrid plan. Uh, I just described our so go check it out runningpublic.com speed sprinkles yeah weekly leg builders yeah medium long and long runs that's it there I guess you don't need the plan anymore now you know it well just kidding you need it all right I think that's a wrap today yeah I gotta go run yeah go run how long are you running for ah it's an easy day today I'm gonna try to hit 40 to 60 might just do it on One the treadmill runs you hate good luck with that yeah mm. all right well We'll talk to you later this week. We have a good interview I'm looking forward to. So you have to tune in Friday or Saturday as well. See you then.